This is the official Sasta podcast brought to you by me, Harry Stebbings, found hanging out a lot on Snapchat at H Stebbings with two Bs, and by the godfather of Sass himself, Jason Lemkin at JasonLK on Twitter. But to the show today, and I'm thrilled to welcome an expert in building, marketing, and selling cloud applications with over 17 years of experience. Therefore, joining me in the hot seat, we have Nadim Hussain, founder and CEO at Bright Funnel, the startup that shows marketing's true impact on revenue, and they're backed by many past guests of the show, including Matt Garrett at Salesforce Ventures. Tim Kopp and James Cham at Bloomberg Beta. As for Nadim, prior to founding Bright Funnel, Nadim was VP of Marketing and Sales Development at Power Reviews, paving the way to a $170 million exit. He was also a product marketing executive at Salesforce.com during their hypergrowth years. I'd also like to say a huge thanks to Tim Kopp and James Cham for the intro today, without which the episode would not have been possible. However, before we dive into the show today, Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning fast typo tolerant search into their SaaS product. Product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences. By owning the entire stack from engine to server, Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. For small SaaS teams, Algolia is a perfect investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers. And you can learn more about how Algolia helps SaaS scale search because now Sasta podcast listeners can get one month free at algolia.com forward slash Sasta with the coupon code Sasta podcast. That's algolia.com forward slash Sasta. However, it's now time for me to shut up and hand over to Nadim Hussain, founder and CEO at Bright Funnel. Good. That's perfect. Okay. I think we're warmed up. Nadim, absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. A huge thanks to, to James Cham and Tim Kopp for the intro. But thank you so much for joining me today, Nadim. It's great to be here. Now, I'd love to get started today with a bit about you. And, and firstly, a question from one of your investors in Matt Garrett, who asks, how did you make your way into the world of ABM and come to found Bright Funnel? Uh, great question. So Bright Funnel was really born out of my own experience as a VP of marketing. Uh, I was at a rapidly growing company, about 100 people. Uh, we ended up exiting for over $150 million. But before we got to that exit, it, it was far from clear we would succeed. And the challenges that I faced of running marketing as well as sales development was getting ready for a board meeting and, and really asking myself all the questions that I would ask if I were in their shoes about how we're going to grow, how we're going to hit our targets. And I found myself, you know, I had Marketo, I was a relatively early customer, I had Salesforce where I used to work, but I didn't have the insights I wanted. So, so that was really my aha moment for thinking that there's got to be a better way to, to solve the problems that I felt. So by scratching my own niche, so to speak, I, I really found this massive opportunity. And I was going to say just a, a little bit of context, how I, how I got to that position. So before I became a VP of marketing, is you know before that I was at Salesforce for a number of years and the hyper growth years uh, doing product marketing, and before that I was a product manager for a number of years and also did some sales development work. And we used to call it business development uh, as well as uh, consulting as my first job out of school. So I really came from sort of a product analytical background and then came into marketing. So I think it gave me an unfair advantage in you know being an analytical person. I, I wrote a very bad thesis in college on econometrics. That was not my forte, but still very analytical compared to the average marketer. And that combined with being in the right place at the right time, having seen Salesforce evolve and, and where they might be headed, you know, seeing Marketo as an early customer, that really gave me the confidence to go and build this company. You spoke about an analytical mindset there and kind of the benefits that that gave you in marketing. One, one big question for me then is, is marketing now more a science in the data-driven world that we live in, or is it still 
fundamentally an art, do you think? That's an interesting question. It's probably as much of a science as data science is, which, which means that it's both. <laughs> the, the hardest thing about applying data to marketing is knowing what the data means. It, it's not a deterministic problem. We're not, when we're doing marketing, we're not sending a man to the moon and, and figuring out the calculus behind it. It's, it's really much more probabilistic. You're, you're playing the odds and figuring out your, your conversion rates and funnels and things like that. So I, I do think those kinds of problems are well suited to applying data science and, and statistics. Uh, and I think marketing is that kind of domain. I, I do want to dive straight in though, State, because you said something that was particularly interesting to me, uh, kind of borrowing from the Andreessen software eating the world. You recently said that marketing's eating sales. So talk to me about this and what the radical transformation is that we're seeing in the construction of the funnel, do you think? Uh, absolutely. So, so marketing is, is eating sales. You're seeing that every day in the emergence of SaaS automation technologies that are replacing human-powered processes with some sort of automation. So if you think of a slider, you know, marketing on one side, sales on the other, it, it, you know, sales is the human. It used to be that if I use a military metaphor, sales is sort of your Civil War soldier with a musket and, and really nothing to, to back him up. And now it's more of a Navy SEAL where you've got satellites in the sky, you've got intelligence, uh, you've got airplanes and all that kind of stuff. So the importance of the human, the salesperson doesn't go away. In fact, it's increased. It's a different kind of person that's needed in the modern sales and marketing world. But marketing increasingly takes over more and more of the interactions. Uh, that, that is absolutely where, where the world is headed. Intrigued. Uh, I recently saw, obviously now as a VC, I see uh, a lot of SaaS products. I recently saw AI for outbound sales. Um, to what extent do you think we're going to see AI and machine learning then replace that final funnel uh, being the sales and, and marketing functions? So the, the problem that I discovered was that there, there's a customer journey and we are all trying to optimize that customer journey. And the key to accelerating revenue, if you're any kind of B2B company, is you're orchestrating the right marketing or sales touch at the right point in that customer journey. And so, so what we, we call this category revenue intelligence. So at each point of that customer journey, you have different pieces of your revenue stack. And we are the intelligence layer that, that connects the dots and that gives you the insight on what each activity is worth and, and what action it should take. That's powered by marketing attribution. And, and, and that in turn is, there's a lot of math and, and uh, some IP behind that. Large companies are, are using that today. But so in that landscape, so we definitely believe that you can apply automation, you can apply algorithms to get smarter. Now, your question is, how much is that going to replace the human? And my belief is where the focus is now, where the focus should be now, at least for us, is not around trying to automate every action. Uh, so we, we talk about revenue intelligence and revenue orchestrations. So the orchestration is more of the automation through API, that, that sort of world. But in between is what you, you can think of orchestration like a conductor is giving instructions to the first chair violinist on how to play uh, play their instrument. So that's the world we're in now. So I think rather than replacing humans, we're going to be augmenting humans with recommendations. So let me give you a specific example. Today, if you're you know, a SaaS company, let's say you're, you're going public, you're, you're doing really well, you've got a big marketing team, they're organized potentially by channel. You've got your digital, SEM type of folks, your events, content, syndication, etc. And what each of those channels would love to know is their contribution to that revenue at the end of that buyer's journey. However, the alternative isn't that you take that person who's hosting these great field marketing events for your enterprise company, then you just replace them. But first of all, that can't be automated. There's a human, it's an in-person interaction if you're doing trade shows or field marketing. But what would be really nice to have is that person, if their day was just a little bit less stressful, if you told them, look, Harry just entered stage three in your opportunity 
opportunity pipeline and he's based in the UK. Therefore, you should invite him to this enterprise dinner you're doing in a couple of weeks. Those are the kinds of things that, that I think you're going to see, recommendations, things that are that the human is going to accept. The user interface is really important. That's something I believe in really strongly. There's a place for black box applications of AI and machine learning, but there are, other, there are many other places where the, the human involved is much more important. Can I ask, in terms of measuring marketing success, is it purely a revenue play where you can tell the clear ROI of certain marketing campaigns and that is the most successful? To what extent do we also have to take in kind of building brand advocates and brand awareness? Is that still relevant in today's kind of revenue and data-driven world? Yes, absolutely. So, so the, the the key metric for marketers is still leads. Marketo and Eloqua gave you the marketing qualified lead. That was a big leap forward in, in marketing technology, but we really haven't moved beyond that until now. The, the next phase is what happens after the MQL all the way to revenue. So your question was, so is, is revenue then the metrics? So absolutely, revenue and ROI are the most important metric. That said, brand and awareness is absolutely important. And there are things that today are very hard to measure, but they're still important. Uh, there's ways to measure them if you're a really large company, but most mid-market B2B companies can't, can't measure things like you know, the impact of, of a billboard might be harder. You know, you've got your one-on-one billboard. There, there's ways to calculate that, but it's, people that are doing those ads are probably not bothering to do that. So, so that's that's kind of the, the world we are in today. So, so what I would generally advise is when you're doing your demand gen marketing, that is a brand activity. So for example, this week uh, we had a, we were at a, a trade show for Bright Funnel, and we had lots of people show up to our booth. And when you ask them, hey, why did you show up? Many of them said, oh, I got your email saying, set an appointment with us. And they didn't respond. They ignored the email, but they read it and remembered that that was Bright Funnel. So, so it, was, it was brand interaction. It was awareness. The, the definition of brand is, is you occupy, in, in my mind, is you occupy a little piece of real estate in someone's brain. So if you can occupy greater and greater real estate on, on someone's mind, you're, you're going to be top of mind, literally, if, if they're looking to make a buying decision. Mm-hmm. Does that answer your question? No, it absolutely does. It does. In, in kind of reverting back, to, to the transformation and the kind of marketing eating sales perspective. I, I guess my big question around that then is what's driving this fundamental transformation? That's a great question. So the fundamental forces that are driving the automation eating manual processes and marketing eating sales are the things that are the big things we're all observing. So certainly the, the rise of the internet, you know, it sounds, it sounds old hat. I, you know, I moved to San Francisco in 2000, so I was there in the first dot-com boom, but that is still happening, right? And then the second wave of, of mobile-enabled internet access. That is the, the fundamental massive secular trend that's going on. That's number one. Number two is, the, if you think of marketing as a function, it is the first, uh, if you will, sort of internet-native category of enterprise software. So, so, so a lot of the marketing technology, you know, before companies like Marketo and Eloqua, there, there really wasn't that much that was mainstream. So with sort of the mainstreaming of SaaS and, and the internet, marketing technology is one of the first things that really took off. I always think of marketing and sales together. So sales tech, martech, to me, that's all revenue tech. That's how we think about the world. Um, and third, expectations and, and behavior are changing. So what I mean by that is, as Marketo gave you the MQL, what, ha- what happened next? And then Aaron Ross gave you the you know appropriate person email. And so, so you know, you, you take those two things, and then we've all gotten lots of emails, lots of content, uh, and then people wisened up to SEO and inbound marketing. So these things have happened that have created a bigger market, but there's also more noise. Um, so, so as as a result of all that, it, it, there's more possibility to automate things. There's more uh, applications of, of things like marketing automation and sales automation technologies. 
In terms of more noise, uh, I'm intrigued to discuss the channels, because obviously with the kind of plethora of channels now available to B2B marketers, how do you look to distinguish between then the the nice-to-haves and the must-haves for B2B marketing going forward? Um, That's a great question. So that is one of the hardest things about marketing. And if if I had a podcast, I think I would call it the the hard things about marketing, because there's always the obvious thing that you read or you hear, and there's what's behind that. And the reality is if you're a growing company, oftentimes a channel works until it doesn't. And that's a function of both what's happening with that channel. So let's say podcasting is a new channel that's on the upswing and and there's maybe a lot of excitement and and you can do well with good content, but there might be another channel that's a little bit more saturated. So so those things are moving. Uh, The company itself is growing and and is expanding. So with that said, at the very, very early stage, what I recommend is the most important thing is that a company have a point of view about the world. And and if you're a founder, you have a point of view. Uh, if, if you don't, you're probably, you're not going to make it, right? So, so it's it's in you somewhere. So if you're a founder, write down your point of view, uh, even if you're not a writer on one page, and find a way to expand that into some sort of asset. You know, certainly you can blog it, you can expand that into a 10-page asset, and you can put it behind a landing page on your website. So, so if you do one thing, I would create one piece of collateral that you put on your website, and then you can go from there. So, so I think my advice is just, just get started. Certainly your website is a, a very important channel. So, so that has to be there. Depending on your business, SEM and digital may or may not be important. It's not always the, the, the best channel. Uh, certainly prospecting, you know, we talked about account-based marketing, which is certainly one of our focus areas, which is more the idea of, you know, a priori figuring out who you want to go after and putting more wood behind those arrows. So prospecting is one of the two, one of the tactics in account-based marketing. Um, so certainly there's a variety of channels and, and there's there, there's always more channel. If you look at marketing in 2000, when I was at, at uh, starting out in SaaS, we didn't have SEO, we didn't have ABM, you didn't have a whole bunch of other acronyms that marketers have to deal with. Conversely, the sales function hasn't changed that much, so marketers have have just have to do a lot more. And, and so the functions, it, it's very new in a lot of ways, which is why you're seeing this explosion of, of demand for for ways to, to do meta marketing. Absolutely. But I'd love to dive into a quick fire round with you now, called uh, Nadim 60 Seconds SaaS. Sound good? Sounds great. So let's start with what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your journey? Oh, that's a great question. I, I think there's only one way to know it. It's just to go through it, which is that the job of, of a founder CEO changes every year and it gets it gets harder. Um, I remember early on, I talked to a couple of late stage founders and you know, prospects of mine that are Series C, Series D CEOs. And I sort of jokingly asked, so it gets easier, right? This is really hard. And I asked it three times. And, and each one of those CEOs basically over the phone did a, you know, virtually slapped me across the face and said, what are you talking about? It's only going to get harder. Uh, this you know, this job just gets bigger and bigger and harder and harder. So I think that's the number one thing is that becoming a better CEO is, is important. Um, and there's thinking of how to invest that time early on is harder. As you grow and you have a team, it gets, you can carve out the time. But I think the, the job just, it's a lot of fun. That, that's kind of the beauty of, of running a company and being in SaaS, but it also gets gets harder. And then what's the biggest mistake that B2B companies make in their marketing strategies? Um, there, there are so many, but I think ultimately the biggest mistake is to forget that you're selling to a human being, right? You're, you're telling a story and that story should have a hero. And guess what? The hero is not the speeds and feeds in your T1000 better storage system uh, or your you know SaaS solution that 
automate some some backend process. That the hero is that person using the software. In our case, the hero is the marketer, the B two B marketer that we're elevating that is struggling to prove their value. That that really wants to align with sales. They want to have an impact on the revenue. That's the person that you know, I get up in the morning to serve. And, and and that when we do marketing, we all have to remember that you know we're talking to a person. So that the example of if you're doing SDR outreach, just imagine it was you on the other end. It would would you want tactic X versus tactic Y? Um, and those are the things I think that, that really simplify some of the decisions that in, in this noisy world and in a, in a world where buying you know, the, the customer journey is much more democratized, there's much more control for the buyer. There's more control because, certainly because we're giving them control, there's a lot of premium and bottoms up solutions, but there's also more control because information wants to be free. There's way you can easily find someone else on LinkedIn is using that product or on a review site. So, so there's and, and we're on a subscription model. Uh, and so everything is pointing to more power in the hands of the buyer, which is a great thing. But that means the seller has to think in a different way. They've got to research the account. They've got to be empathetic. They've got to tell a story that puts the buyer uh, at the center of their marketing and their sales efforts. How do you look to unite sales and marketing teams? That's a fantastic question. So the sales and marketing alignment and the tension between the two is a natural and a good thing to some extent. Marketing is your revenue in the future. Sales is focused on this quarter, maybe next quarter, but generally they're trying to close out the quarter. Without marketing, you're not going to hit the next two or three quarters. And without brand, you're not going to hit the next five years. So, so that's how I think about the different time scales. So when you talk about sales and marketing alignment, oftentimes it's an issue of leading indicators versus lagging indicators. So our point of view is that the two are going to unite, not necessarily in reporting structure where they're under one boss, but in the, in the operations and the technology part of it. You're seeing an emergence of marketing and sales technologies and marketing operations functions. The next evolution of that, which we're already seeing in a lot of cutting edge companies is revenue operations or you hear business operations. I think that revenue operations function, that person is really going to be key to have a full funnel view, full funnel intelligence on knowing what's happening. And, and that's how you're going to align sales and marketing so that instead of sales thinking, oh, you, you didn't deliver enough leads or these leads are no good, you're, you're going to have a very clear view of this is the predicted pipeline or revenue from that cohort of leads that came in. Uh, and in the B2B world, it, it, it can take a year or more from lead to revenue. So it's really important to think about that journey, all those touch points. You might have to interact with them. On average, we see across our network, uh, there are 18 interactions just with the individuals that are the core buyers in an account. And there are four or five of those people. Most people, when they're, they're doing their reporting in Salesforce or Marketo or wherever, they're looking at one buyer. And the average SaaS company has, has more like four or five at a minimum. So those are the things that are really uh, you know, changing that sales and marketing alignment. And then final 60 second question, and that's what are the big tips in building out a B2B marketing team? That's a great question. So I recently gave gave a talk with my, my own VP of marketing. And what we the, the interesting story we uncovered was that when I built my own marketing team, now that was almost five years ago as a VP of marketing versus now what we're doing, they're very different. So there's two things I, I, would, I would ask you to think about. One is you know, what is the problem you're solving? Is it an existing category where you can go, there's search engine intent, you know, you can go ramp up your demand gen, or is it one where you're defining a category? That'll have a different mix. At the very beginning, you just need the, the unicorn marketers, probably someone who's willing to do anything, and they have multiple skill sets. They can write, but they're also somewhat technical, or, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, demand gen, you know, operations pro, uh, but they're also able to sell. So, so that's the kind of person in the beginning where 
doesn't really make, it's not a natural act for a person to do three or four jobs. As you grow, you can then add, you know, one demand gen person, maybe one person more oriented towards the website, et cetera. So depending on what stage you're at, that, that team structure will, will scale. The minimum viable marketing team where, where it doesn't feel unnatural is probably around five to 10 people. And most startups can't afford five to 10 people in marketing. So you've just got to find a way to augment that. Uh, it could also be through third-party agencies where you find a good uh, startup-oriented agency to work with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I do want to talk about then, and this is out of the quick fire. I do want to talk about the future uh, for the marketing sphere. Uh, as we said, we've seen the expanded role. But what does this mean for the future going ahead? Will we see a full integration with sales? Will they merge together? What are your thoughts on the years ahead? I think it's really exciting. I'm very optimistic because, you know, we've, everyone has always wanted one-to-one marketing. If you're marketing to someone or selling to someone, you don't want it to be generic. You want to be personalized. And because of data being available about companies and individuals, because of the technologies being available, it's become much easier to personalize for a slightly broader scale. So I think you're going to see marketing, as I was saying earlier, have a much bigger impact. They'll be much closer aligned. So there'll be fewer of the silos. A lot of the sales and marketing alignment problems are they're sort of marriage counseling problems where marketing and sales are talking different languages and they're talking those languages partly because they're working on different timescales. So those things will, will become much easier as the data become, you know, gives more transparency to what, what the heck is exactly going on in the funnel and what's working and what's not. A marketer gets a huge amount of credibility with sales when they come to the table and say, you know what, that trade show we did last year just didn't work and, and here's why. And we're going to take that $30,000 and reinvest it in something else. Those are the kinds of things that are that are now possible that, that were much harder before. Mm-hmm. Well, Nadim, it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show, having heard so many great things from, from Tim and Matt and James. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Harry. Really enjoyed it. And again, a big hand to Nadim for all he did today on the show. An incredible to hear the trajectory, an exciting road ahead for Bright Funnel. And again, a huge thanks to James, Tim, and to Matt for the introduction today, without which the episode would not have been possible. And if you love the show today and want to see more from us, you can follow me on Snapchat at hstebbings with two Bs, or you can follow the main man, Jason Lemkin, on Twitter at JasonLK. We'd love to see you there. But before we leave you today, do not forget to check out Algolia. Now, Algolia is the robust search API that allows developers to integrate lightning fast typo torrent search into their SaaS product. Out of the box, Algolia offers developers a powerful platform for building great search experiences by owning the entire stack from engine to server. Algolia free up development teams to focus on adding intuitive search that delights users. This is perfect for existing search teams looking to spend less time on maintenance and infrastructure management and more time on user experience. And for smaller SaaS teams, Algolia is a great investment on top of your existing stack that requires no specialist engineers. And you can learn more about how Algolia has Help SaaS scale search because now SASTA podcast listeners can get one month free at algolia.com forward slash SASTA with the coupon code SASTA podcast. As always, I so appreciate all your support and cannot wait to bring you next Monday's episode.